there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In the year leading up to the 2020 election, we're counting down the biggest scandals in American political history. This is number 41, The Rise and Fall of James Traficant. I think they should be handcuffed to chain link fence, flogged, and all of their hearsay evidence should be thrown the hell out. And if they lie again, I'm going to go over and kick them in a crotch. Thank you very much. <laughs> James Traficant was under siege from the FBI. He had a target on his back for 20 years, ever since he had successfully defended himself against a racketeering charge in federal court back in the early 80s. By beating the rap, Traficant had served the feds a steaming hot slice of humble pie. Now, they were back for revenge. They had fresh charges of racketeering, along with obstructing justice and filing false tax returns. The long knives had been sharpened. It was time to go to war. Or so it must have seemed to the paranoid, conspiracy-spinning, hogwash-spewing congressmen. To the rest of the country, it was like watching a plane explode in slow motion. One of the strangest, most colorful men to ever tread the House of Representatives was about to go down in flames. Welcome to Political Scandals, a ParCast original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. In the lead-up to the 2020 election, we're counting down the 54 biggest scandals in U.S. history. Every week until November 3, 2020, we'll look at how each of these moments shaped American politics and culture and what we can learn from the failures of the past. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Political Scandals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Political Scandals in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. James Traficant was a force of nature. Like a hurricane with a hairpiece. 
From the moment he stepped foot in the House of Representatives in 1985, Traficant was a demagogue on the floor of Congress, railing against the many perceived enemies of his working-class constituents. He saw himself as a lone hero, struggling against the federal government's conspiracy to destroy blue-collar Americans and tear apart the fabric of society. As the Don Quixote of Congress, he made a career out of tilting at government windmills. He was perhaps the first king of the soundbite. He treated C-SPAN like it was a comedy set on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Number one, big farm animals produce more manure than small farm animals. And number two, manure stinks. And he looked like Congress's official court jester. Hideous plaid suits, outmoded ties, and a toupee that sat on his head like a wet dog. Yet beneath the farce was a shrewd populist who knew how to play to the cheap seats. While I'm congressman, you don't rape my constituents. To understand Trafficant, one must understand his hometown. Youngstown, Ohio was built on steel. Factories and mills once crowded the landscape, churning out the metal that would raise skyscrapers, span bridges, and reinforce battleships. Brought to you by Youngstown Steel. Steel production was crucial to the city's economy. It was so intrinsically linked to the local identity that Youngstown and the surrounding area was called Steel Valley. Born on May 8, 1941, working-class America was in James Traficant's bones, just as surely as steel was in the bones of American cities. But as a young man, he had visions of a life beyond Northeast Ohio. Traficant was a football star at the University of Pittsburgh, slinging the ball to the likes of future NFL legend Mike Ditka. When the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted him in 1963, it seemed like the future was bright for the 22-year-old quarterback. But Traficant's time in the big leagues taught him his first harsh lesson in economics, supply and demand. The Steelers already had a stable of talented quarterbacks, and Traficant wasn't good enough to break into their ranks. He was cut before the season even started. Unable to latch on with another team, Traficant returned to school, obtaining a master's in counseling in 1976. He went back to Youngstown, determined to help a community that suddenly found itself at a crossroads. For years, Northeastern Ohio's economy revolved around steel. But market saturation caused steel prices to start dropping by the late 1970s. Youngstown became just another notch on the Rust Belt. Trafficant taught classes on drug and alcohol abuse, notably for the Ohio Peace Officer Training Institute and the Ohio State Highway Patrol. This interest in helping his community eventually led him to becoming Sheriff of Mahoning County in 1981 at the age of 40. It was as Sheriff that Trafficant first billed himself as the champion of working-class Americans, and the first hints of his corruption emerged. In 1950, the United States produced nearly half of the world's steel. 
By the mid-80s, it was producing less than 12%. Youngstown and many other American cities were hit hard. But this crisis turned out to be an opportunity for Trafficant. Acting in his capacity as sheriff of Mahoning County, he refused to serve foreclosure papers on homeowners suffering from the economic downturn. In 1982, he even went to jail for three days rather than turn against his fellow Ohioans. Naturally, Trafficant became a local hero. An image of a tough, scrappy champion for struggling workers was forged in that Ohio jail cell. Trafficant would cultivate it for the rest of his political career. But just because Trafficant fought on behalf of ordinary Ohioans didn't mean he was above putting his hand in the cookie jar. A year after his three-day stint in jail, Trafficant was in much worse trouble. The FBI indicted him for bribery in 1983. The feds had audio tapes of Trafficant accepting $163,000 from the Carabia crime family. They had videotapes of him meeting with the mob and discussing the bribes. Despite the enormity of the charges against him and the fact that he had no formal legal training, Trafficant chose to act as his own attorney. By any rational measure, the FBI should have had Trafficant dead to rights. His career should have ended there and then. But Trafficant wasn't about to go down without a fight. Trafficant told the jury that the money he had taken from mob boss Jimmy Prato was part of an independent sting operation. Which Trafficant had set up by himself without informing anyone else. He painted himself as the lone vigilante out for justice, the white hat cowboy. And the jury bought it. James Trafficant was acquitted after a seven-week trial. The person to whom Trafficant claimed to have returned the bribe money was never found. The legend of Trafficant continued to grow. He had sacrificed himself rather than foreclose on struggling families. He had fought off the mob and the FBI, and despite having no legal training, he had successfully defended himself in court. Riding this wave of publicity and hometown heroics, Trafficant ran for Congress. In 1984, a year after his trial, Trafficant was elected to the United States House of Representatives as a Democrat from Ohio's 17th District. From the outset of his political career, Trafficant struggled to earn the respect of his fellow Democrats. During his time as sheriff, the Mahoning County Democratic chair had called James Trafficant a nitwit, a lunatic, a raving maniac. Despite these harsh words, Trafficant began his D.C. career with appropriate deference, promising House Majority Leader Jim Wright, I will be supportive of the Democratic leadership, and I am hopeful of playing a useful role in achieving some successes in the upcoming 99th Congress. But it didn't take long for him to establish a reputation as someone who refused to play ball. For starters, his appearance was eccentric. On the floor of the House of Representatives, he wore cowboy boots, unfashionable skinny ties, and plaid, white, or denim jackets. Then there was the toupee. Do I do my hair with a weed whacker? I admit. 
trafficant cut a flamboyant figure, and his behavior on the house floor only added to the maverick mystique. Trafficant became famous... Well, C-SPAN famous... ...by embracing one-minute speeches, a daily period on the House floor where members could pontificate, moralize, and harangue on any topic they fancied. Trafficant embraced the one-minute speech with the aplomb of a populist firebrand, spouting diatribes that were long on profane theatrics and short on substance. The IRS was a frequent target of his ire. I say, Mr. Speaker, the IRS has turned into a bunch of political prostitutes. And I want to apologize to all the hookers in America for having associated them with the IRS. The FBI wasn't safe from trafficking's tirades either. Perhaps he was still simmering from that bribery charge during his days as sheriff. Besides powerful federal agencies, trafficking peppered his rants with allusions to cover-ups and conspiracies. But his most frequent targets were policies he believed to be detrimental to working-class Americans, particularly the kind of struggling Steel Valley workers who had acquitted him of that bribery charge and then sent him to D.C. In Trafficant's opinion, the common man was plagued by trade liberalization, aid to foreign nations, permissive immigration laws, the decline of American labor unions, environmental regulations, and, of course, taxes. Trafficant's speeches typically climaxed with his signature Star Trek catchphrase, I say beammeup.com, coincidence this. It was an expression of pure befuddlement, as if he found the operations of D.C. so bizarre, so nonsensical, so incomprehensible that they may as well have been coming from another planet. This humble son of a truck driver had come to Washington to clean it up for decent Americans, only to find it utterly lacking in simple, homespun, middle America common sense. It should come as little surprise that traffickants soon developed a reputation as combative. Bombastic. Profane. Someone who didn't want to play by the rules. A shoot-from-the-hip maverick puffed up with swagger and bluster. But there was a method to traffickants' madness. His antics weren't for the benefit of his fellow representatives. They were for his constituents back in Ohio, the struggling families of the Rust Belt. He was speaking their language. He was letting them know that he found Washington just as frustrating as they did. The grandstanding worked. Trafficant would go on to win seven of the next eight elections with more than two-thirds of the vote. While Trafficant was endearing himself to his constituents, he was making powerful enemies in Washington. And indulging in pervasive, shameless corruption. Up next... We'll explore how Trafficant betrayed the powers that be in Washington. Now, back to the story. By the early 90s, Congressman James Trafficant was becoming increasingly estranged from the Democratic Party. His antics on the House floor did little to win over his fellow Dems. Though he had gained plenty of attention thanks to his rowdy one-minute speeches, little of that bluster translated into real power. Trafficant's willingness to take controversial stances at odds with the party line didn't help either. 
One of the most egregious examples was Trafficken's unfaltering support for a former constituent named John Demyanyuk. After leaving Ohio, Demyanyuk was imprisoned in Israel from 1986 to 1993 on charges that he had once been a guard in Nazi-occupied Poland. Even though Demyanyuk was no longer under his purview, Trafikant repeatedly insisted on his innocence. He was so loyal, even alleged crimes against humanity couldn't cause Trafikant to renounce a constituent. However, that loyalty came at a price. In 1992, Trafikant wanted to join the Ways and Means Committee as part of his crusade to undermine the IRS. He was rebuffed. Trafficant was becoming persona non grata within his own party. Excluded from important committees, Trafficant tried to make a difference by promoting Buy American legislation. These bills were economic policies intended to favor American businesses over foreign imports. For instance, Trafficant proposed that Congress censure the Ohio State Lottery for buying plastic key rings manufactured in Taiwan. Throughout his congressional career, Trafficant repeatedly introduced Buy American legislation. All of his measures were shot down. No matter what he tried, Trafficant was kept at arm's length by the Democrats. And as the 90s marched on, his voting became increasingly conservative, which only encouraged the Democrats to alienate him further. It was a vicious cycle. Nevertheless, Trafficant refused to formally sever ties with the Democratic Party, so the Republicans didn't want him either. He was effectively isolated and at a critical time. In 1999, James Trafficant learned he was once again under investigation by the FBI for taking bribes. According to the report compiled by the House Committee on Standards of Official Conduct, James Trafficant's corruption dated back to his earliest days as a congressman in the mid-80s. In 1986, Trafficant hired a company called Asphalt Specialist to perform labor at his farm. Asphalt Specialist billed him over $10,000. Trafficant failed to pay. He had something better to offer than money. According to the committee report, in exchange for the labor, Trafficant, as their local congressman, offered to take actions that would help them if they would forgive the debt. Anthony and Robert Bucci, the owners of Asphalt Specialist, agreed. As it turned out, they would need all the help they could get. Over the next decade, the Buchis got into trouble with the Ohio Department of Transportation, the Wethersfield Township Board of Trustees, the Office of the Mahoning County Engineer, the Loan Department of a Bank in Youngstown, and the United States Departments of Transportation and Labor. They were twice convicted of various felony violations relating to the manner in which they conducted their paving work. Anthony Bucci was sentenced to six months' imprisonment. Robert was convicted of a misdemeanor. But without James Trafficant, it would have been much worse. Time and time again, Trafficant flexed his political muscle to bail out the Buccis. He leaned on various government agencies, urging them not to disbar the men, despite their convictions. 
Traffican's reasoning? It would cost Ohio precious jobs. At one time, he said 150 jobs were at stake. Later, that number ballooned to 250. It was all a lie. No jobs were at risk if the Buccis lost their business license. Though considering Traffican's mania for safeguarding working-class Ohioans, he may have convinced himself it was somehow true. Traffican's assistance was so valuable that he soon demanded more from the Buccis in exchange for his continued protection. Sometime during the mid-90s, asphalt specialists sent one of their employees to work full-time as a farmhand for six months at Traffican's farm. According to the committee report, the employee repaired farm machinery, tended horses, cleaned horse stalls, baled hay, mended fences, assisted with carpentry work in the barns, and performed other duties as assigned by Trafficant. Naturally, Trafficant did not pay for these services. Before we continue spelunking the deep caverns of Trafficant's corruption, let's take a moment to discuss something called corvée. Corvée is a French term for unpaid labor, typically repairs done on the property of a feudal landlord. For millennia, corvée was demanded by aristocrats of their peasant subjects. In fact, the Great Pyramids of Giza were not built by slaves, but by corvée, provided by ordinary Egyptians. Abolishing corvée was one of the goals of the French Revolution. It was a necessary step in raising the dignity of the common citizen and ushering in a new era of liberty, equality, and fraternity. And ideologically, it was not so far removed from Traffican's view of the federal government's overreach in dictating the lives of American workers. Yet championing the rights of struggling Americans clearly did not extend to the Traffican farm. For all of Traffican's insistence that he was a champion of the people, his behavior with those who depended upon his protection was positively medieval. In 1999, Trafficant met with Dave Sugar, the president of Honey Creek Contracting Company. Sugar's son had a pending DUI case, and he wanted Trafficant's help in fighting it. Trafficant promised to help, providing that the Sugars did some work around the farm. In addition to clearing up the DUI case, Trafficant directed his congressional staff to resolve problems Honey Creek was having with various government agencies. To show their thanks, the Sugars and their company repaired drainage systems, cut roads, removed trees, and spread gravel. Trafficant also finagled a new farmhouse deck out of a Youngstown businessman who ran an international construction company. In exchange, Trafficant helped him secure a multi-million dollar payment being held by a Saudi prince. And the improvements kept coming. A cement contractor provided new concrete floors, drainage pipes, and water lines in exchange for help getting loans from a Youngstown bank. Trafficant's farm wasn't the only property to be lavished with corvée. Trafficant moored a wooden boat at the Gangplank Marina in Washington. It, too, was in need of some TLC. In 1997, Ohio businessmen John Caffaro and Richard Detour came to Trafficant seeking the congressman's assistance. 
Gaffaro and Detour were affiliated with U.S. Aerospace Group, a company seeking to market laser guidance technology. They wanted Trafficant to help get their techs certified by the FAA. The congressman agreed, on the condition that Caffero and Detour repair Trafficant's boat. They happily funneled $26,000 in repairs, slip fees, and other expenses toward Trafficant's boat. And it wasn't just congressional supplicants who slaved away at his various holdings. His own staff members were coerced into toiling for him. The employees of his Youngstown and D.C. congressional offices were sent to tend the farm or maintain the boat. One employee worked at the farm on at least 150 occasions. Hercules labored less at the Aegean stables. None of Trafficant's serfs were ever paid for their labor. Tell old Pharaoh, let my staffers go. And Corvée wasn't the only feudal tactic Trafficant employed. He also wasn't above selling offices like a rotten Renaissance bishop. In 1998, he offered a Youngstown attorney a position as administrative counsel on his congressional staff, provided that the attorney divert $2,500 per month from his salary to Trafficant. The cash was put into an envelope and slipped under the door of Trafficant's Ohio office. The congressman had become a bona fide Buckeye Borgia. Little did Trafficant know that the feds had been steadily building a case against him. By the time he found out, it was too late. We'll explore how Trafficant's goose finally got cooked right after this. Now back to the story. For over a decade, James Trafficant had concealed his corruption from the various federal agencies he had long mocked on the floor of the House. Or so he thought. In December 1999, Trafficant found out he was the subject of an active FBI investigation, and the net around him was closing fast. But that didn't stop Trafficant from trying to cover his tracks. He paid off Dave Sugar to conceal the farm work. He asked his administrative counsel to destroy evidence of his criminal activities. And yet, he continued to accept unpaid labor from those he aided and abetted. Staffers still toiled at the farm, even as the noose tightened around Trafficant's neck. By May 2001, though, the jig was up. A federal grand jury indicted James Trafficant on 10 charges of bribery, racketeering, obstruction of justice, and income tax evasion. Trafficant, true to character, maintained that the case against him was nothing more than the feds thirsting for revenge. They wanted payback after failing to nab him nearly 20 years prior when he beat the racketeering charge as sheriff of Mahoning County. Once again, Trafficant chose to defend himself. He was as fiery, as defiant as ever. But it wasn't enough. In April 2002, 60-year-old Trafficant was found guilty on all 10 counts against him. Despite his conviction, he was still technically a member of the House of Representatives, though that didn't last long. In July, the House Committee on Standards of Official Conduct initiated disciplinary proceedings against him. 
Historically, nearly all members of Congress who have been convicted of felonies have resigned rather than be dragged through the mud of an ethics committee investigation. Not trafficant. He refused to bow out gracefully. The federal trial had done little to humble him. He remained defiant in the face of his colleagues in the House. I've been railroaded once, and I'll be damned if I'm going to be railroaded twice. His resistance was futile. On July 24, 2002, the House of Representatives voted 420 to 1 to expel James Trafficant. The sole dissenting vote came from Gary Condit, who himself was in the midst of a scandal involving the disappearance of his intern. Trafficant was the fifth House representative ever expelled from Congress. Three had been kicked out at the start of the Civil War for supporting the Confederacy. The fourth had been Michael Ozzie Myers, expelled in 1980 due to his involvement in the Abscam scandal. With the embarrassing matter of a convicted felon still belonging to Congress thus rectified, Trafficant was sentenced to eight years in prison. He was incarcerated in August 2002 at the Federal Correctional Institution at Allenwood in White Deer, Pennsylvania. During his entire stint in the clink, Trafficant never accepted visitors, perhaps because he wasn't allowed to wear his toupee in prison. Some inmates might have spent their time lifting weights, but not Trafficant. What did he do while locked up? He ran for Congress again. As luck would have it, a person can be convicted of bribery and obstruction of justice, expelled from the House of Representatives, and run again anyway. God bless America. A Congressional Research Service report suggested that Trafficant's imprisonment would not necessarily disqualify him from serving were he to be reelected. But it wasn't certain how, or even if, Trafficant could serve the great state of Ohio from a jail cell in Pennsylvania. Thankfully, that conundrum would not need to be solved. Trafficant took 15% of the vote and lost to Tim Ryan, who was one of Trafficant's former aides. We don't know if Tim Ryan ever labored at Trafficant's farm or boat. Though, if he had, his victory over his former boss would be an elegant example of poetic justice. James Trafficant was released in 2009, age 68, after serving seven of his eight-year sentence. Despite his failed jailhouse congressional bid, he was determined to return to public service. Shortly after his release, Trafficant announced he was willing to travel to Germany to testify on behalf of John Demjanjik, the accused concentration camp guard. Demjanjik had finished his Israeli prison sentence only to be arrested again and deported to Germany in 2009. However, he died before the deportation. But Trafficant's support of the accused death camp guard gave him the exposure he craved in the form of an endorsement from David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan. The Grand Wizard urged his followers to support Trafficant in his bid to regain the political limelight. While Trafficant wasn't going to don a white hood anytime soon, he was willing to join with a fringe political movement. His release from prison coincided neatly with the rise of the Tea Party, 
which proved a natural fit for him. Trafficken joined the Tea Party momentum in 2009, speaking at gatherings in Ohio. He tended to avoid personal attacks at President Obama in favor of his tried-and-true philippics against the IRS and other government agencies. Once more, Trafficant had his eyes on a seat in Congress. Perhaps, he thought, he could ride the wave of frustration back toward political relevance. He didn't get very far. In 2014, 73-year-old Trafficant was driving a tractor at his infamous farm when he drove into a pole barn. The collision caused the tractor to flip over, pinning Trafficant underneath it. He was rushed to a hospital in critical condition and later died. Forty-five centuries earlier, the pharaohs forced their own people to labor on the magnificent pyramids which served as their royal burial chambers. In a way, the farm was James Trafficant's Great Pyramid. For years, it had served as a monument to his own arrogance. For all his populist hyperbole, James Trafficant had the soul of an autocrat. The Egyptians had their pharaohs of the Nile River. Trafficant was the pharaoh of the Steel Valley, the Cheops of Ohio. As the French say, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with number 40 on our countdown, The Eagleton Affair. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Political Scandals on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Political Scandals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Political Scandals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Political Scandals was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Richard Rossner and Kate Leonard. Mm-hmm.